0: Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory.
1: I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group.
0: We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates and allies of tourism destinations and disability
1: to make each journey more explorable
0: welcome to explorable we have an amazing guest we're so excited to have ron Petit with royal caribbean group to be able to share more about disability inclusion and accessibility on the high seas. But real quick, Toby, I've never been on a cruise. Have you been fortunate enough to be on a cruise?
1: No, hey Josh, uh, thanks for asking, but I unfortunately have not been on a cruise. So I'm super excited to learn more about what Royal Caribbean and Ron are doing for those of us with disabilities who love to travel.
0: I've heard so many wonderful things about cruises from family members that have been on them. And it's something that really excites me. I've dug into it, but we just haven't pulled the trigger. So I think, Ron, you're going to enlighten both Toby and myself, not only about accessibility and disability inclusion at Royal Caribbean, but also maybe a little bit just in general about cruises. So welcome aboard.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. It's awesome. And i love to have a chat with you all about accessible cruising and the things that I've been doing.
0: That's awesome.
1: We're looking forward to diving in, but maybe before we get started, Ron, let's get to know you a little bit better. What's your disability story? How did you get into working as an advocate and an ally for disabled travelers?
2: I was born with hearing loss and they didn't figure this out because obviously I was developing language a little later in life. And, you know, a couple of things happened at that point. I learned how to talk, but, you know, my first word, and visualize this, my mom and I were staying at my grandmother's house in a suburb of Chicago. And it happened to be underneath the flight path of Chicago O'Hare Airport. And, you know, me with a hearing loss, which is profound, it's like 80% in one ear, 90 in the other. The only things I could hear are jet engines and fire alarms. You know, I'm sitting outside in the stoop and I'm with my grandfather and you just think about it like tattoo on Fantasy Island, right? The plane, the plane, that's what I was doing. So that is actually my second word that I've ever said, which will make sense that I became an airline geek and then I wanted to work for an airline. That was my life's mission. When they discovered that I had a hearing loss, the doctors told my parents and sort of laid out the expectations of having a child with a hearing loss. And they said, you know, Ronnie's going to have to go to special schools, which meant deaf schools. Then they next said, maybe he'll go to a regular school, and then all he'll learn is C's. So my father, he's in the army, so I was an army brat. And he said, no, no child of mine is going to earn C's. He's going to earn straight A's. I did earn A's, maybe a couple of B's, but I was a good student. And really, my parents taught me, be whoever you want to be and excel. I think fast forward several years, I've been working at Northwest Airlines. I was working in Boston as an airport agent. You know, I moved to headquarters in Minneapolis. Part of my job started to talk about, oh, Ron, you're going to be responsible for passengers with disabilities and so that became my sort of passion for making travel accessible for people with disability and really like marrying the I love to fly love to travel with making travel accessible it was kind of like this passion thing that went off and then also realizing that my hearing loss was a disability and I and I became sort of identified as a person with disability and so that's where I got that notion of I'm a person with a disability with lived experience of people with disabilities. And then also talking about how do we make travel more accessible for people with disability, which was a rewarding in itself because I love to travel and make sure other people can travel. And then the last part of the story is that it kind of became in addition to my regular job. I really want to do accessibility more. So I saw this job posting for an access manager at Royal Caribbean. I said, this is written to me a T. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And so I applied and about three months later, I became working at Royal Caribbean and I'm now making cruise travel accessible with people with disability. I love to fly, I love to cruise and that passion of just helping people with disability travel is just amazing in my experience here at Royal Caribbean.
0: It's great to hear your story, Ron, and it's wonderful to see the pathway that you've helped not only carve for yourself, but potentially others, because I'd like us to explore a little bit more about why it's important for brands in the travel industry to have an accessibility specialist or whatever other title there may be associated with that role. What does that mean not only for your role, but potentially others in travel and tourism?
2: I think the conversation really is about and travel companies and ho- travel and hospitality companies thinking about the market and untapped market and thinking about, are there people that aren't traveling and why? I was humbled to hear, you know, Richard Fain, our chairman at Royal Caribbean, talk many years ago at, at a diversity inclusion event and he said, when we got started, we didn't think about marketing to families. You know, we were just marketing to adults and why people wouldn't travel with their kids. And then they also us that we didn't market to people with disabilities. We didn't think they'd want to go on cruises. And they kind of realized after a few, you know a while, they said. We're missing the boat. And realizing that people wanted to travel with their kids. And they came the launch of the kids' programs and really becoming the family brand that we are today. And we welcome all kinds of families. So that's another conversation point that we get to with diversity inclusion. We welcome all types of families on board our ships. And then we welcome people with disabilities. Over 20 years ago, they started the access department with one person. And now with my team, it's almost two. 20, 25 people, and really kind of furthering the agenda for people with debate it takes a lot. I mean, World Caribbean kind of did things a little backwards in disability inclusion because we fed into the marketplace. And obviously that's sort of talking about how do we impact the bottom line and really increasing the number of people with disabilities that want to take a cruise. Even the penetration of cruising in the US market is still somewhere like in the 15, 20% range. Many people have not taken the cruise. We really kind of take a look at how do we build a market for people with disabilities. And the next thing that we started to do, I started about seven years ago, really focusing on other pillars of disability inclusion, including making Royal Caribbean a great place to work for people with disability, talk about digital accessibility, making websites and mobile applications accessible. We've started to talk about supplier diversity as we build out how do we look at disabled owned businesses as suppliers. So it kind of creates this whole synergy of a multi strategy approach to disability inclusion. And you do need people to lead those efforts. I'm a lived person with a disability leading the effort, you know, and I want to command a lot of my colleagues that work in disability inclusion, but if they don't have a disability, it's hard to convey the real impact of inclusion efforts and really kind of putting people with disabilities in that game of making those decisions and building out programs and services for everybody.
1: Yeah, we certainly do need allies in this space. It's just more important to remember nothing about us without us. We have to be represented, a seat at the table, a voice in the conversation. And you mentioned uh, starting as many of us did as a team of one and growing the effort. So I'm just wondering if we can dive in a little bit to some of the mechanics of that. How did you grow this and develop these partnerships across the company to really get that network effect that you described and drive for the greater culture change at the organization?
2: It's a couple of things. One is, you know, many companies have employee resource groups. That's a core component of many companies on uh, diversity, inclusion, strategy, and building out employee resource groups. So those identities have a voice and really kind of talk about those specific Things that are challenged by those specific identities. So it starts out in a new company that's just starting out as sort of these affinity groups or networking groups. It's just a way of bringing people together and kind of say, hey, there are others like me working here. I was reminded of a story that I was reading the other day talked about a college student she was going to school she's black and she's a wheelchair user so there's the intersectionality of race and disability but when she arrived at school it was predominantly white but when she found the black student association she found her tribe she found like she can talk about her challenges as a black student in a predominantly white college and university. But she didn't find somebody about disability. There was no disability group and stuff, so she still felt alone in that piece. So one of the things to think about is a company is trying to get into this employee resource groups. First thing, it's networking. And then eventually it turns into, how do we make a, be- a better place to work? You know How they can affect changes of like, many gay and lesbian groups talk about, hey, why do we create a transgender policy? So that kind of helps. How do we welcome transgender employees? What the pronouns we use? How do we support a transition in the workplace? At Well-Academy Group, we've had somebody that transitioned to female, and she received so much support from her manager as well as her colleagues and making that transition happen in such a really beautiful and positive way. And so that's the beauty of employee resource groups. And then the other thing that gets into place where you start to identify business issues. So for example, a great example of an Asian employee sports group, the company was having trouble reaching the Asian market in San Francisco. And they said, well, here's the collateral you're saying. It's written wrong. They would never talk this way. And here's how you need to rewrite so that you appeal to the specific market that we're going after. And Asian as a term is also homogenous. You really want to think about people who are Japanese and Chinese are completely different with different cultural values. You know, and unfortunately, it's not a lot of people just lumped it all in one category and then say, we're homogenized. We don't want to do it to the U.S. Let's not do it to other people of other countries. The other strategy that I have used is customer advisory board. So I did that in Northwest and I've done it here at Caribbean where I've assembled a group of people with disabilities, different disabilities, so it's a cross-disability advisory group, and then they also represent local or national advocacy organizations. So there's a little bit of a method to my madness where I create these opportunities for people with disabilities to give us feedback and how we can do better in customer service, how can we hire more people with disabilities, and talk about those things that they can give us feedback. Then they send that message back to their organization, hey, Royal Caribbean's doing a great job in this area, the ships are accessible, they're making World Caribbean a great place to work. So those are the things. So those are really kind of the two examples of using your employees as a point of feedback and getting information, and the same thing you do with externally with the communities that you do. Another great thing and connecting the dots is we have Disability Mentoring Day. So like many companies, we're part of that effort where like in The third Wednesday in October is National Disability Mentoring Day. Started out many years ago, sponsored by AAPD, American Association of People with Disabilities, and creates companies that reach out to high school or college students and then bring them to the company and they job shadow, they mentor for the day. So we've been doing this for three years now. And what we do is we leverage the organizations that we work with in local in South Florida, and we ask them to help us find college students with disabilities and other job seekers with the ability to participate in this program and they get matched up with one of our mentors. Now we haven't got to a hire standpoint so we're working with university relations because really what the students want is more than a day. They want to do an internship and then they want to get hired so we're trying to figure out how to manage that in the pipeline
1: Well, that's an amazing body of work that you have created and are doing. It's something you should be very proud of, the innovation and engagement you've brought to the community and to the business.
0: Yeah, for all the listeners you may not, of course, have seen, but I was pumping my fists because, Ron, when you mentioned connecting with university college students with disabilities, from my perspective, I feel like the college students with disabilities are underrepresented when it comes to building that pipeline into the professional careers, whether it's in travel, tourism, or anywhere else. So listeners, connect with those college students. And uh, even if it's not for an internship, just to be able to show those young students who might still not have a considered degree to guide them to a career in a profession that welcomes them. You know, Ron, you've talked a lot about how you've done it. I'd love to dive into more about what are some of the things that you've done at Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean is a category leader when it comes to cruises, cruise lines, and travel and tourism. Tell us a little bit about some of the category leading efforts that you've done to welcome people with disabilities to the cruise lines.
2: So I think the one of the first things that I'll talk about is our deaf cruises. So, and this is one of those things that when I came to Royal Caribbean, the first thing they said, Ron, you're going to be helping out with an all. Deaf Charter, meaning a company has chartered one of our ships and saying how do we create an inclusive experience for our deaf and hard of hearing customers. And the really great story about this is that this was with a small travel agency out of Virginia called to Deaf Travel and they're amazing because they dreamed big and we helped them to do that. You know, we're always about what if we could do this. So when we did the, the Freedom Deaf Cruise back in 2007, we were already kind of well into planning and preparation so i ended up having to kind of re look at the plan saying hey here's some gaps we missed we need to do more of this and more of that and really kind of build out inclusion plan." so we had something like over 120 sign language interpreters on the ship providing equal access to all of our shipboard programming and events. We had a portable hearing room kit for every stateroom, which is unheard of because if you know ADA, there's a minimal level of compliance and that's only a small percentage of rooms. Our company felt really strong about the safety of our guests because we also created a custom room kit that would not only detect Telephone ring, something at the door, and the fire alarm. It would detect the general alarm. So if you've been to our on our ships, you know during the muster drill, you learn about the general alarm, which sounds it's seven short, one long. It's very piercing, except if you're deaf because you can't hear it at all. So this room kit flashed a red light when the general alarm goes off, and it's told our deaf guests. You need to evacuate your room and head to your muster station. And so those were just a couple of the things that we did. We also spent a lot of time developing training. We went on a ship about two weeks before the charter and to train all the staff in deaf culture, basic sign language, and all those really great things to help make our deaf guests feel welcome on our ships. The charter client literally cried because when the boarding day happened and her clients were walking on the ship, every one of our staff members was saying hello in sign language, and that was an amazing feeling of accomplishment and really creating that sort of inclusive deaf culture on a ship that really you don't get anywhere else. Folks who are deaf spend all their time in the hearing world, but now they're in a completely deaf environment. Everything is catering to their needs as a deaf consumer. And I'll share another story, which I am particularly proud of, that we are the first autism-friendly cruise line. So Royal Caribbean became autism-friendly about seven years ago. And then our sister brand, Celebrity, became autism-friendly about six years ago, like a year later than Royal. We've been catering to people with autism for years in their families, but we didn't know exactly. You know, it's kind of like, you know, this learning curve, realizing people didn't understand what autism was. And you know, you think about Rayman, you think about the meltdowns that you see. And so you have this very misconstrued view of people with autism it, it also got me thinking it's like what are their needs what can we provide to people with autism in terms of an inclusive cruise experience so it's an ongoing discussion we met with a company called autism and Cease. they specialize in autism cruise crucification they too realized that there was going to be a market for this and it was also a journey it was kind of like saying oh we're going to just bring families with autism and they're going to put them on the ship and just have them take a cruise, not realizing that they had specific needs. So eventually, Autism Seas turned into a model of staff-assisted cruises, where they provide extra staff to assist the needs of the autistic individuals and that created their product. So through that journey and through that partnership, we understood a little bit better what it means to cater to families with autism. We were also finding ideas from the travel and hospitality, for example, in the Tampa Bay area, there were many hotels becoming autism certified. It's like, what is this? What does it mean? Can I do this on my cruise ship? And really, that's what the beauty of our relationships that talk about what other hospitality companies are doing, and is that something that we can incorporate into what we're doing. Along with Autumn Seas, they helped us, and we put together an autism-friendly program. We put together some existing things that we already do, like priority boarding, check-in, gluten-free meals. So a lot of people on the spectrum need gluten-free meals. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not an autism I, I don't know the correlation, but there is a lot. And so we already provide gluten-free. Options on board a ship. Then we added some new features like autism-friendly movies. It's not the movie that's autism-friendly, but it's the environment. So I know that many of our listeners talk, listen about you know autism and really I resonate that they know somebody on the spectrum, they understand that they see the world differently than we do. They become overstimulated with crowds flashing lights, and all those things. Now, I can't always guarantee that we can eliminate all those distractions, but we can do a great job of being welcoming and inviting to families on our ships. We have the Autism Channel, which is a streaming television service that streams to their TV. We don't expect our, our guests to stay in the stateroom, but sometimes they need a break away from the puzzle and bustle of the, of the ship so they escape back to the room and there's this wonderful channel that has autism program, it's entertainment related, it is educational so it's an amazing option. And then the last thing that I want to mention was the social stories. This is a tool that families use. Educators and therapists use to prepare children with autism for upcoming experiences. There's social stories for going to the grocery store, going to school, going to the doctor. We created one for cruising. It's downloadable from our website. They can use the entire booklet or use the pages they need. And so it's a really great option for us. And so a couple of things that I wanted to mention. I can't give out the exact numbers, but I can tell you ever since we started autism play, the number of guests with autism and their families has doubled every single year since we started the program. So this is one of those really clear examples of how I can tell you that disability inclusion impacts your bottom line. And then the next thing that I wanted to mention was that we talk about the market. So we track demographic data. And so when we started this program, we're thinking, oh, it's going to be kids with autism. We got the first year demographic back, it's like one third of our guests with autism are kids three to 11 one-third are 12 to 17 uh, teens, and then the last group is adults 18 and over. So a lot of our services are available for the entire age spectrum, some are only available for kids, and so those are the really great understanding what options are available for different age groups. The last point that our advisory boards, and that's one of those really great things that we did, is we got a lot of feedback how we can do better. They loved that a major traveling company like ours was coming out of the closet and saying we want you and your families to come aboard our ships normally families with autism don't go out they don't travel and so this is really sort of a major company that kind of said we want you on our ships but they gave us feedback and i'm like i'm not an expert so i created an autism advisory board so when we found out the data was talking about adults with autism we also started to shift our thinking and we're st- this is still a little bit of work in progress for us is changing our language because our language in our collateral material talks about parents. Your child needs this. Your child will get this. But there are adults with autism that can have their own money. They have jobs and they want to cruise. So the language about how we provide a program for them, the language has to change and really not be sort of to the parent, but it's really to you as an autistic individual making your own decisions about travel and wanting to cruise with Royal Caribbean.
1: That is a great story. And this wonderful test case for inclusion there, you described how you're marketed to this group and you're doubling your engagement year over year and using off the shelf products and innovation to create true inclusion for the entire family or or group that's traveling together. I'm wondering, you know, you're clearly far down the road on your journey, Ron, with Royal Caribbean. And like we talked about earlier, you started with little support. So I'm wondering if if we can share something for our listeners to take away who are not as far down the road on their disability inclusion journey. Are there some simple things that those of us who are still teams of one or two, what we can do right away to get started to accelerate disability inclusion? Do you have any tips you can share for our listeners?
2: You know, I know I give these talks and I go to different events and things like that and they love the story that I bring and how the journey that we've gone through I talked to a lot of people who say how do I get started and you know you need to start somewhere take one strategy I mean I'm doing a lot of stuff and it's like you don't need to do all of this stuff in order to see just start somewhere and some of those things start with things like having an employee resource group or having an advisory board having a dedicated coordinator that kind of spearheads this effort and it doesn't have to be vice president of this it could just be a specialist or a manager but still have somebody that's sort of dedicated to the space and you'll soon quickly find there's a lot of stuff to work on and like i've been a team of one for many years what i do is what i call build something out of nothing and it really is the case so some of the other things that you talk about is buy-in and this requires you talk to leaders in your company and talk about disability inclusion as a value as a imperative because a couple of things that are happening and there's so much data out there about open doors organization we've heard a lot about they do their dis- disability market study and there's every five years they just published one last year about 58 billion dollars are spent on travel for people with disability and that's up from 34 billion from five years before so there's definitely an increase of people with disabilities traveling and they're spending more and so this is an untapped market that you want to get into and with some changes and things that you can do you can lean into that market it really is disability is like the third largest market after African-Americans and Latinos. You always don't see disability being represented out there. And so my forte has been marketplace. And so this is really in my space. And you talk about the guests with disabilities. We do run analytics on guests. And that's one of those things that we've just started a few years ago about tracking the number of guests with disability in the different categories and the different combinations. But we started to think about we're just counting the guests. And that's kind of like a 3% number. Let's count in all the companions that are traveling with them. In a cruise line, we charge separate fares for guests, so that's easy. In a hotel industry, it'll be different because you're by the room, but and you don't always know how many people are in a room. The power is you've got a person with a disability. What about all the people that is traveling with this person? That's the full impact of the disability market on your business. One of the really great things we can also do is we cross-reference all the companion bookings that go with this guest we're adding that number into the mix one of the other things that we look at from the data standpoint is to look at peer assistance it's our number one request it's just like at the airport people need help getting through the terminal getting on the ship and off in your single wheelchair we track these requests but just like the airlines only one-third of people with disabilities tell us they need peer assistance before they arrive on the day of all of a sudden I've got double or triple the number of peer requests on the day of boarding. So we create that methodology in there. What gets measured? Gets better, and we attach the revenue to all of this. So it's just not about the number of guests and a percentage of guests, but let's talk about how much money they're spending. We notice that guests with disabilities incrementally spend more than other people. We also know that guests with disabilities are more loyal. Yeah, you know, we have more loyalty members that are, are have a disability than those without. You've seen disability market studies for other industry stuff. We are completely in line with that, and that is part of your business case. The reality is just that. In order to get by, and you sometimes have to be data-driven. You have to kind of show them how the effect on the bottom line. Then you also have to address the emotional part of the equation. There are many leaders that diversity and inclusion as a core value, as well as disability. It's kind of like when you have a CEO and has a child with a disability, they will make an effort. Their company to say, "I want to make the world a better place for my child with disability, and I want to make my company a better place." whether it's an employee or guest or consumer. And so you lean into that. So whenever I start to talk to leaders, I kind of figure, try to figure out what their motivation is and lean into the motivation, because motivation to do something, it's very different things for different leaders. And so you kind of lean into that piece because that just helps you get buy-in, but you also need buy-in not only from the top, but you need buy-in from the bottom. And that's where your employee resource group, your customer advisory board comes in, but just start somewhere. You don't have to do all the great things I'm doing. You could just start somewhere like, hey, have a diversity council. The other thing is, you guys will probably be surprised at the amount of people, that you, disabilities you already have in your workplace. Celebrate that. Leverage your employee resources to leverage that whole component there. And then when you talk about consumers, talk about all the stuff. You already have accessible rooms, you already have accessible tours, you already have this. Celebrate what you do have. I always get this conversation about why go out, publicize what you're doing. We're not perfect. We don't have everything. And that's the point. Celebrate what you do have and get it out there so that people know i am so amazed the amount of time i keep talking about what the things that i do and what things our company are doing that people tell me i never knew you did all this and it's just like need to get the word out there and so that's why i built my advisory board the way i did so that i can have them as my ambassadors. And then you talk about opportunities like this today, really to talk to you and the listeners about how do we do this and how do we make travel accessible for people with disabilities?
0: This is just so amazing, Ron. Every point that you shared, I hope that our listeners can internalize within their brand, their business. And just if you're a traveler with a disability that's listening, hopefully you now recognize the amazing things or you may already be an advocate and a loyal Royal Caribbean fan. I do want to take a quick step back. Can you tell us a little bit more about Royal Caribbean as a brand? Everything I'm hearing from you right now makes me love the brand so much. But as somebody who hasn't cruised, would you mind just sharing with listeners a little bit about Royal Caribbean, the cruise ships, and and what it's all about just in general?
2: Royal Caribbean has been around for 50 years. It is the brand that the company was founded on, and obviously it's the brand that people know the most. We're about a very innovative cruise line and you know you'll hear us talk about family because a lot of it is because we have the youth program on board, Adventure Ocean, we have our teen program, and you know it's all about multi-generational cruising as well because you know a lot of families travel together and they travel together with the parents and the grandparents and brothers and sisters and siblings and friends. So really cruising is a great opportunity for families to take a cruise. So we build a lot of opportunity around that. Our senior vice president of sales, Vicky Free, has said, you know, World Caribbean is the unique combination of quality and energy. And, and that is what we pride ourselves on about building out a cruise line that you know has that unique combination. And you don't find that anywhere else. And we pride ourselves positioning our brand on value and not on price. Because if you buy a cruise based on price, you may get what you're paying for. If you pay more, which is the really great thing that happens at, well, Caribbean, because people believe in our product and they are willing to pay more for it. And that shows you the quality of our product. And we sail all over the world. Caribbean is our middle name, so most of our guests sail to the Caribbean. But we sail to Europe. We have ships based in Asia for the Asia market. The ships out there are immersive cruising and the primary language on board is used Chinese and other Asian language. So people love the Royal Caribbean brand because we do a lot of really great things for active guests. One of the personas we like to attract is the adventurer and really talking about people that want to explore new places, destinations, meet new people, and they all do it on a fabulous cruise ship. Our celebrity brand is a little different. So the tagline is modern luxury. And it's sort of a class in itself. You know, people try to say, are they a luxury cruise line? And really, Celebrity's kind of its own class and it's really kind of talking about pillars of food. The food program on board celebrity is amazing. They're all about spa and pampering. They're about education. So celebrity cruises if you imagine if you're all it looks like a boutique hotel, but it's not stuffy. It's accessible. And not me from a disability standpoint, but it's really kind of why like this really great luxurious experience you get on a ship. We have many guests that go back and forth. Sometimes they love to be on Royal Caribbean and other times they like to be on Celebrity. And that's a really great thing about our cruise brands. Thanks
1: for sharing that, Ron. That's great. I I love hearing more about the brand because it is so recognizable. And what you said about the quality position model versus a price position model where I see the price, you know, low, low price is like a race to the bottom. But when you focus on quality, it creates a better experience for everyone, employees and travelers and the community. And I appreciate what I see is you and your company taking that mindset to disability inclusion. Let's end on a high note. What's coming up next? What's on the horizon for Royal Caribbean and Celebrity Cruise Lines in the disability inclusion space?
2: It really is talking about taking our autism friendly program to another level. We're looking at kind of coming out with a, a consumer guide to autistic cruising and kind of explaining our program in detail and giving a strategy, you know, really kind of like helping people make assessment, like to parents, for example, and say, can my child take a cruise? And the answer for me is it depends, and there's several things to think about, obviously age, you know, where are they on the spectrum, all those sorts of things, and helping parents get that little checklist going and thing. I think my child's ready. And then also how to advocate for the different products and services that we have on our ships and how to get them and those things. So we're talking about doing that. That's been in the works. We've also talking about updating our social story. Advice from our advisory board. It's really, it's more of a workbook right now and really less of a picture book and less words. So we're kind of revamping the social story to meet more a true social story for our guests and their families. The other thing that we're kind of tapping into, we want people with autism to stay with us, but we also want them to work for us. So, kind of doing a macro trend in the diversity inclusion arena, you talk about a lot of companies that are doing neurodiversity hiring programs, and so that's a conversation that we've just started to have inside. Well, Caribbean, we're partnering with IT and hopefully other business unit partners and identify the opportunity and the roles that we were hired into and then really starting building a relationship with our community partners that can help us accelerate that process but we still want to take extra time to do it right we don't want to rush into it we want to get successful matches so that we have successful experiences and that's where the program gets built so those are just a couple of things that are on the horizon for us and there's more things to think about i mean you know taking the whole idea of understanding what does it mean to be an ultimately deaf-friendly cruise line? What does it mean to be a blind-friendly cruise line? It's like understanding that we have products and services available, but what are those things that might push people to sailing with us specifically because we have these products and services available to people who are deaf or have blind and kind of thinking those things through. It's kind of taking a page from the autism friendly playbook and saying we build a whole suite of services that are available that people can pick and choose what they want and build it over to the other side and create this sort of inclusive experience for specific markets. I've had a travel agent partner talk to me about dementia cruising. There's a whole nother segment of the market that we haven't thought about. So, you know, I love what I do. I love to catch the wave to inclusion and really kind of exploring all those really great innovative and concepts for our company and our brands.
0: This is great, Ron. I feel like our listeners have so many golden nuggets of insights and information that they can take as new leaders in disability and accessibility, as seasoned leaders, and as travelers as well with disabilities to find out more about what your brand has to offer when it comes to disability inclusion. I am so excited now. I mean, I just want to dive into more about Royal Caribbean. And so for our listeners that want to find out more, where's the best place for either a traveler with a disability or others just to find out about where? Caribbean's disability inclusion and accessibility offerings.
2: Yeah, so they can go to our website, really. We've got a chock full of information. We have a microsite site at royalcaribbean.com slash accessible seas. Or if you are looking at our celebrity brand, it's celebritycruises.com access. So those are really great places to go and find out more information about our each of our brand's accessible cruising program.
1: Ron, I can't thank you enough personally for what you're doing for the disability community and inclusive travel. Keep up the good work. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show and hearing about what you're doing and looking forward to staying connected and seeing you out on the high seas.
0: For everybody at Explorable, this has been so amazing. Thanks so much to Ron Pettit with Royal Caribbean Group. Ron, we'll catch you on the high seas.
1: Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit, and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Lobner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.